0: get access to exclusive content and become part of the team you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com slash hey everyone i'm rod roddenberry and you're listening to trek fm
1: these books i thought i'd take some light reading in case i got bored welcome everyone to another episode of literary treks i am your co-host here one of your hosts here um matthew rushing and with me well he's back from his super secret section 31 mission it's dan gunther dan uh everything go well in the mission. I mean, I know you can't really tell me too much, but uh, it's good to see you back alive.
0: I am indeed back alive. Uh, It was a close call there, but well, perhaps I've said too much.
1: Well, yeah, Dan, um, I I don't want uh, to see one of those black uniformed men come in and drag you away uh, because, well, I know they have your computer bugged. So (laughs) they're listening to this right now, even though we haven't released it yet. So
0: to be honest, Matthew, it wouldn't be the first time, but Again, I think I've said too much. Ah, God.
1: That was so annoying when that happened. (laughs) I
0: do have to say that was excellent editing that out, though.
1: Thanks, thanks. (laughs) I mean, well, you know, this is a family-friendly show, and some of the things that were said there uh, just weren't appropriate for younger ears, and so... (laughs) Yeah, sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) That's okay. I mean, you know, what kind of happens when you're being drugged away by... Well, uh, we can't say anymore, so... But luckily, Dan... Uh, As you were gone, we were deluged with news, and um, you know I didn't really want to talk about it to myself and to everybody else without your opinion, because we had so much stuff come out in the last couple of weeks, and guys, we're going to judge some books by their covers. I'm not even going to sing about them this week, because we've got too many books, and I don't have time to think of a song, but they released the three covers for the three novellas that we're going to get for the star trek new frontier series uh, the returned and each one of these there's part one part two and part three dan i gotta say that part one has me sufficiently intrigued
0: i would agree with that uh it's it's a beautiful cover you know this exciting kind of spatial environment going on with uh, an ambassador class starship in the in the foreground. Now, the Excalibur at the start of the New Frontier series was an ambassador class ship and spoiler alert, I'm sorry to say, that ship was lost at some point and replaced by a galaxy class. So, I'm really not sure what this story is or where it takes place in the timeline here, but that in itself has me definitely sufficiently excited.
1: Well, see and that makes me wonder if The Returned is just the original Excalibur.
0: Hmm, that could very well be.
1: I know that listeners all over the planet are going to be crying out on horror when I say this, but I've never read a New Frontier novel. Uh, when they came out, it was just a time for me that it was very tough to be reading a lot of Star Trek novels, and I was just not able to get into the series. And of course, now where we are... There's like 12 books for me to catch up on someday, and I would love to do so because after reading Peter David's Captain's Daughter, I really enjoyed his writing style, and I'd love to be able to get into this and dive into this, and obviously, we'll be talking about these on Literary Treks, so I'm going to have to be doing a little bit of research, but yeah, I really love this cover. I think it is beautiful, and... I've always enjoyed the Ambassador-class ship, um, and I'm glad to see it on this cover. There's there's nothing like having a ship we don't see very often promo you know, on on a cover because, uh, you know, we're used to seeing the Sovereign or a Galaxy-class, um, but uh, anytime we get something like the Aventine or this uh, Ambassador-class, which we're not sure of the registry number because you can't see it.
0: <laughs> cleverly, cleverly exactly. positioned. Exactly.
1: Very nicely done, uh, there by the artist. So, yeah, I love this cover, I think it's really beautiful. And, like you, I'm very interested to figure out what this story is all about because when we look at this second cover, well, it looks, um, well, it looks kind of dismal for wherever we are,
0: yeah, kind of some hazy ruins. Uh, it looks to be. You know, some smog or smoke or clouds in the atmosphere obscuring where we are and what exactly is going on. It's uh, It looks like maybe setting the tone for this middle book might be a little dark and gloomy, uh, but it looks interesting. It's grabbed my attention for sure.
1: Yeah. You know, what it, it reminded me of was a um, Machu Picchu kind of feel to it, but mm, yeah. on an alien planet. And much bigger, on a a much grander scale. That's just kind of what I was picking up with this cover. And so, yeah, I'm definitely intrigued by the fact that this is part two. And whatever this planet is, it doesn't look as if anybody's been there in quite some time. And it kind of looks like something catastrophic has happened. Mm -hmm. Um, Which is strange, because when we get to the next cover for book three, for part three... Um, are they visiting Coruscant here? <laughs> uh, have they have they jumped universes?
0: I would almost say so. Um, if it weren't for those kind of pointy mountains in the background, I don't know how much of uh, Coruscant is left untouched by cities and stuff, but the foreground definitely looks like a vast metropolis, really high skyscrapers, gorgeous cityscape, basically.
1: I, yeah, this is, again... It's so intriguing. I think this whole thing, this is just, we would stamp this sufficiently intriguing because neither of us really has an idea, and I'm, I'm not sure really anybody has, quite an idea exactly what's going on now dan they did release a blurb here what do they tell us about what's going to be happening next with captain mckenzie calhoun and uss excalibur
0: well both captain calhoun and the crew of the excalibur are back picking up three months after the stunning events depicted in new frontier blind man's bluff Calhoun's search of Xenex has failed to find any survivors, and now he is bound to determined to track down the race that killed them, the Demurge, and their associates, the Brethren, and exact vengeance upon them, something that Calhoun's generally pretty good at. His search will take the Excalibur crew into a pocket universe, where he discovers not only the homeworld of the Demurge, but another race that shares Calhoun's determination to obliterate his opponents. But is this new race truly an ally, or an even greater threat? As much of a threat as hard to pronounce alien names are, apparently.
1: Yeah, no kidding. Um, that is one of the things that I feel like every Star Trek book needs is just a pronunciation guide in the beginning, <laughs> or that they need to be released, um, especially in audiobook format, um, or say like ebook format that they have. Like you can push on the name and it and it says it for you. That would definitely um, kinda be like helpful. Kind of like those kids' books on the side, you know, <laughs> where they have like push this button now and it's like. Elsa from Frozen, going, ah, I love snow, you know, something like that. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just that would be great. Ebook providers, just think about that, yeah. especially when we've got you know sci-fi books, because yeah, I'm terrible at learning how to pronounce these names. So,
0: <laughs> I'm sure we'll get people uh, correcting me on my pronunciation there.
1: yeah <laughs> I wouldn't worry about it too much. Um, so, but yeah, this is this is very very exciting, um, and. Continuing on with the blurbs that we've gotten, Sight Unseen, James Swallow's new Titan novel, which takes place after the fall, and then, of course, um, the recent crossover we had with uh, John Jackson Miller's takedown. It says, in the wake of the political upheaval across the United Federation of Planets, Admiral William Riker and the crew of the USS Titan find themselves in uncertain waters, As roles aboard the ship change to reflect the new mandate and the new mission. On orders from Starfleet, Titan sets out toward the edge of Federation space to tackle its latest assignment. To work with an alien species known as the Dianic. I think that's probably how we say it. Um, (laughs) And who are taking their first steps into the galaxy at large as a newly capable, warp-capable civilization. But when disaster befalls the Dianic... The Titan crew discovers they have unknowingly drawn the attention of a deadly and merciless enemy, a nightmare from Riker's past lurking in the darkness. Friendships will be tested to the limit, as familiar faces and new allies must risk everything in the fight against an unstoppable evader, or a horrific threat will be unleashed on the galaxy.
0: Ooh, very ominous.
1: Yeah. (laughs) What threat? could be from Riker's past, do you think?
0: Well, I've seen some interesting speculation on that, and uh, I'm wondering if the key is lurking in the darkness. Do you remember that episode with the aliens that were abducting people from the Enterprise, and they made those clicks in the darkness while while they experimented on the crew? That's kind of what popped into my head.
1: That'll make writing the dialogue for them pretty easily. It'll just be like... Would just be a series of clicks. Perfect. Page yeah. after page uh, of that. I can't wait. <laughs> yeah, it would be awesome. Well, knowing James, this is going to be great. Absolutely, um, I have enjoyed James Swallow so much in his stories, and the idea too of, of how things are changing for the Titan will be really interesting. I mean, you have Whitaker aboard; he is the admiral at this point, and yet, you know, now you have Captain Vale. And so just seeing how all that works out is, is going to be something that will be interesting because we really haven't had a storyline in any of the Star Trek books where it's an admiral who's, who's really been at the forefront. And so I'm, I'm really interested to see how this works out. And I have enjoyed the Titan series for the most part, and I'm very excited that we're going to be getting back to that specific Titan book.
0: Definitely. And James Swallow in particular, his Titan books have been phenomenal. So I'm really looking forward to this one as well.
1: Definitely. I mean, Synthesis and The Poison Chalice, I loved both of those. And so I I can't wait to see what James has in store for us.
0: Definitely. Well, um, we also have a new blurb for the fourth book in the Seekers series. uh, And they just recently released the title of that. And that's going to be All That's Left. Uh, so this one's written by Dayton Ward and Kevin Dillmore, and of course features the USS Endeavor under Captain Katami. So definitely looking forward to this one. Um, the blurb is, Initially charted by Starfleet probes dispatched to survey the Taurus reach, the planet Cantrell Five now plays host to a budding Federation colony as well as a combined civilian S- Starfleet exploration team. Ancient ruins of an unknown civilization scattered around the planet have raised the curiosity of archaeologists, anthropologists, historians, and other interested members of the Federation scientific community. Together, they are attempting to shed light on the beings who once called this world home. After a large unidentified vessel arrives in orbit and launches a seemingly unprovoked orbital bombardment, the USS Endeavour responds to the colony's distress call. As they attempt to render assistance and investigate the mysterious ship, Captain Atish Katami and her crew begin to unlock the astonishing secrets the planet has harbored for centuries. Does the survival of a newly discovered yet endangered alien race pose a threat not only to Cantrell-5, but other inhabited worlds throughout
1: the Taurus Reach? I don't know, but this sounds like a fun mystery.
0: (laughs) Definitely. Um... I've really been enjoying the Seekers series. The uh, the first two books I thought were pretty interesting and a lot of fun. And I got to tell you, you know, continuing these characters from Vanguard, they, uh, they were some of my favorite things in those books. So I'm definitely glad that this series looks like it's going to be around for a little while longer.
1: It does look at least that we are going to get these two and then who knows what's next. Uh, obviously, with David Mack being very busy Right. In the upcoming future, it would be hard for him to, I think, return to the Seeker series for a while. But this is exciting. I, I, I really did. I enjoyed the first two books. I think they were a lot of fun. Uh, obviously, in a very different vein than the. Vanguard series, which had that dark Deep Space Nine feel to it, and in some ways, I think Vanguard may have been even darker than Deep Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, which is not a bad thing. No, not, definitely not, not. saying it at all. <laughs> I think it was something that m- many people have so much enjoyed. In fact, so many people on the Babel Conference found the Vanguard books and have just been devouring them, and already done with the entire series. So. I'm glad for so many fans that this is continuing, and I'm excited to see where it goes. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited because Greg Cox is going to be wrapping up the year again, like he did last year, with his book, A Child of Two Worlds. And it's going to be a Pike-era story, and the blurb goes like this. It says, in the year 2255, not long after the events of the original series episode, The Cage... Young Spock is the science officer aboard the USS Enterprise under the command of Captain Christopher Pike when the outbreak of deadly Rigelian fever threatens the crew. Reviewing the Starfleet medical database, Dr. Philip Boyce comes up with a highly experimental and untested new treatment that just might save the crew. One problem, it requires a rare mineral substance, Rhytelion, I think that's how we'd say I that. I think it's uh,
0: talon if I remember.
1: talon, okay, yeah, well, there we go. See, th- we're just messing up names left and right <laughs> here, folks, and we're not going to edit this out because it's more fun that way, which is not easily obtained except on a remote colony near the Klingon border, but borders are somewhat blurry in this part of the galaxy. Pike will need to tread carefully in order to avoid provoking an armed conflict with the Klingons, are starting an all out war.
0: <laughs> Excellent. Um, I kind of like the continuity tie in because the whole Ritalin, Rigelian fever thing comes from the uh, TOS episode Requiem for Methuselah. Speaking of hard to pronounce things, <laughs> um, where uh, they. Do you remember. Um, the immortal guy, Mr. Flint building his uh, Android. oh yes yeah yes they Who were shows
1: up obviously in in uh, Jeff Lang's book.
0: yeah exactly they were uh, they were on his planet to to get right to cure this Regelian fever so it looks like Boyce is the one that came up with that uh, that treatment that's kind of cool.
1: yeah, definitely. I love when we follow up things like that it sounds like a great way to end the uh, year. For Trek Books. Plus, I mean, the fact that it's a Pike era story, I think is really interesting. And any time that we can kind of get um, more information about Pike, it's always great.
0: Mm-hmm, definitely. Well, we also have a, a little bit of a teaser for a Deep Space Nine story coming out next year. Um, and this is in January. It picks up the Deep Space Nine story after David R. George III's Sacraments of Fire. And the title of this novel, as we've mentioned before, is Ascendance, which seems to be a pretty big hint that this fills in the timeline gap in the Deep Space Nine relaunch. And now, of course, we have confirmation of that. The description says, On the original Deep Space Nine, Captain Kira Nerys watches as the nearby wormhole opens and discharges a single, blade-like vessel, attempts to contact its crew fail, and the ship is soon followed by another vessel of similar design. When an armada subsequently begins to emerge from the wormhole, it seems clear that DS9 is under attack. Kira orders her first officer, Commander Elias Vaughn, to board the USS Defiant and defend the station, and alerts Starfleet to send additional forces as her crew prepares DS9's shields and weaponry for the onslaught to come. Meanwhile, on the lead ship, Iliana Gamor considers launching attack on DS9 and finally ending the life of Kira, the fountainhead of all the ills in her miserable life. Her vengeance demands more than mere death, though it requires pain. Gamor refocuses, choosing to follow her plan to mete out her revenge on the Campton by first decimating the population of Bajor. Ooh, Gamor up to her old tricks. This is really cool. yeah.
1: This is big stuff. Um, and now, one of the questions that I have seen about this book, especially on Trek BBS, is obviously Sacraments of Fire does seem to be continuing the storyline that we got started off that was you know, David R. George really laid the tracks for in Revelations and Dust and left a lot of things hanging. Mm-hmm. This book obviously seems like a flashback. Like, the whole book is a flashback. Right. So, I'm wondering... Is this, you know, is Sacraments of Fire going to end with us flashing back to this Ascendant storyline, which is going to help wrap up the main storyline that we've been talking about in Sacraments of Fire and kind of wrap it all together? How do you think this is all going to work? Because... The other thing is, with this Ascendant storyline, is this just like one massive book that's, you know, kind of um, a full circle style where we're really going to tie it all together? I mean, or do you make this into two books where the, the storyline after this continues with the Ascendant storyline? What do you think, Dan?
0: I honestly have no idea. I, I'm At this point, I'm not even totally sure what I'm hoping for. Um I, I, I'm i really excited to see this storyline continuing or or possibly wrapped up in one book. I would I would almost say that might be preferable because we don't want to lose the focus of the current storyline as well and then be back right where we started, you know, skipping ahead a couple of years because we've focused on this storyline to the detriment of what's currently happening. Yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the long-term plan is here.
1: My personal thought is that What would be really great is that that Sacraments of Fire does lead to this flashback book where it is imperative that you know this story and that it works very much like Full Circle where it it is using the flashbacks to really further the story that's already happening in Deep Space Nine concurrently. But it's important that We as the reader and everybody know that Mm -hmm. backstory uh, because of what's going to happen. And I think, too, doing a book like that, uh, that kind of size as well, would allow you to be able to tell the entire Ascendant storyline without dragging us out of where we currently are with Deep Space Nine too long Mm -hmm. Um, because, you know, we already have spent a lot of time kind of building back up and getting more space 9 storylines in the first place, and it's becoming more important again. I would hate to see us kind of remove itself for too long because, you know, we usually don't get too many books in it, maybe one or two a year at the most. And that's, this is a lot more than we've gotten recently, Mm -hmm. you know, in the last few years. So, I don't know, those are just my feelings. I, I really would like to see it be, much like a full circle style book with a, a a very large page count that's using all that together to to really tell this story, but also further what we're doing now in Deep Space Nine.
0: Mm-hmm. Definitely. Um, and I, I wouldn't put it past uh, David R. George to to craft kind of this epic, far-reaching story that reaches into the past and the present to tie everything together and and make things meaningful to both sides of the story here. Uh, he's an incredible storyteller. Um, anyone who's read, for example, the crucible trilogy knows that he can do Epic really, really well. And I think he's the right voice to do this story justice. So I'm regardless of which way he takes it, uh, I'm excited for the ride that we're going to get with this.
1: Well, I'm reminded of, you know, how everybody reacted when Rough Beasts of Empire came out. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then he was able to follow it up with that duology for Deep Space Nine that really played out like a trilogy. You know, if you read all three of those together, you had that complete story for the Cisco arc specifically Mm -hmm. and really the Deep Space Nine kind of storyline there. And the same way, I I feel like this is just going to put Deep Space Nine back on the map with this because I I just feel that, you know, Sacraments of Fire and Ascendance. there's got to be a third follow-up to this is my guess. So having that kind of epic trilogy for Deep Space Nine, really maybe making that a focal point again, nothing could be better in my eyes, you know, Mm. (laughs) loving Deep Space Nine and... Obviously, Dan, we've been going through the Deep Space Nine relaunch series here on Literary Tracks, and just seeing how that's played out, and then how it kind of languished for a while, I'm so excited to be getting back into it. And fortunately for the listeners, by the time that we get to Ascendance in January, we will be finished with our Deep Space Nine relaunch. So we will have just finished for you guys the storyline there with um, that leads right into this Ascendance arc that David R. George III is going to be following up on. So, very fortuitous. I don't know if David was just waiting for us here on Literary Checks to get to here or if it really is just that felicitous event. But yeah, I'm exci- I'm super excited to be able to finally get this story
0: locked. Yeah, I'm almost certain he was just waiting for us, basically. <laughs> he looked at how long we were taking to get through it and said, Ah, we'll make it right there. It'll be just perfect for our listeners. So... <laughs>
1: Well, I mean, you know, if it helped him be able to have more time to craft an amazing story, too, then I'm just glad to have been a part of it. So, Absolutely. Well, we are going to be getting a fabulous 50th anniversary trilogy. Uh, David Mack teased a little bit about this, and then the great Dayton Ward put this on his blog to talk about what's really going to be happening with this trilogy. And he said, as the story outlines have not yet been finalized or approved, Not really much that they can offer yet, except to say that all three books are going to be starring Kirk and his Enterprise crew in their prime. And each book ties into a larger storyline that they really hope will pay tribute to the legacy of the original series, which all of them love. And they've got the batting order here, book one, Greg Cox, book two, David Mack, and then book three is dayton ward himself with kevin Dillmore. and i think that this is really exciting you know um the fact that uh, we are going to be celebrating they've already been planning this it's awesome um what's interesting i love is that uh, in january we were starting off the year with deep space nine and hopefully we'll be getting some more deep space nine next year but i think it's it just means a lot to me to know that they are really going to try and make a big, as big a deal possible, and they should. I mean, this is a huge anniversary for Star Trek, just as uh, Doctor Who had its big 50th anniversary uh, just a couple years ago. Um, and unfortunately, there's no TV show for them to do anything with. And who knows how that new movie will turn out, but that's a whole other type of podcast. <laughs> but here at the literary universe, I think we're going to get some great stuff.
0: Definitely. I mean, they've got, you know, an all-star lineup of some of the best Star Trek writers writing this trilogy. I'm really looking forward to this. I fifty years, I can't believe it's been fifty years. I, I remember being young and and experiencing the twenty fifth anniversary and 50 seemed so far away and here we are already um i'm i'm excited to see what pocketbooks has lined up for the entire year i'm sure like we've got this trilogy i'm sure there's going to be lots of other things happening uh with pocketbooks and with other aspects of the franchise this is going to be you know a jubilee year for star trek fans i'm pretty excited about this
1: Definitely, Um, you know, it was, uh, it's something that I can't wait to see. I really just can't wait to see what the lineup is going to be, you know, and again, knowing that it starts with uh, David R. George's ascendance and the fact that we're going to be getting this trilogy, that's, it's super exciting. It's sufficiently exciting (laughs) what's happening already and uh, yeah, I'm really looking forward to seeing what they do with the Trek Lit universe for the 50th anniversary. For sure. Definitely sufficiently exciting. (laughs) (laughs) Awesome. We've got our stamp of approval. Well, um, something that we have been talking uh, about, Dan, has been some of our our looks at the monthly comics. And Trek Apes 4 came out. And we only have one more uh, after this. And so we are really coming down to the wire with this series. And what were your thoughts here on this fourth issue, especially now that... um, you know, Kirk and, and Taylor have stopped fighting on the Enterprise, and they're working together, and really what they're finding out is that Core's whole plan here on this planet looks to be to pit all the apes against each other, so therefore it's easier for the Klingons to take over this planet, and most likely this parallel universe. Um, I don't know, how do you feel that this is really playing out as we're coming now to the end game?
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's taken us a little while to get here. They've kind of played around in the universe a little bit. You had to have Kirk and Taylor fight because, you know, you got to do that, I guess. So it's, it's hitting all the notes that I think it's supposed to hit, but I'm, I'm still just not really on board with this. Um, it's, it's interesting. It's kind of cool to see the two universes together, but Again, the story just isn't really that new or interesting to me. Um, I don't know. What are your thoughts on this?
1: This is hard because I just maybe I'm just not the right audience. Um, you know, I it's funny because my wife and I recently were watching the prequels to the Apes series, uh, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and uh, Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Both of those films. And I like both of those. They're really interesting. And, I, of course, I really like Charlton Heston's original Planet of the Apes movie. Mm. It's so good. But I guess throughout the entire thing, I just am not seeing the real need for this story. Mm. It's not really telling me much new. And it's not really doing anything super interesting for me. And so... I just I think I'm just not the audience. Um I'm sure again that there are fans who are probably just eating this up and love it, but I I'm not excited about it. And you know every time I read it, I want it to be good. Um this issue was semi-interesting, but at the same time I don't know. It just doesn't seem to have really any real relevance to anything in in Star Trek at all. Mm-hmm. You know, um and one of the fun things about, say, reading the ongoing series or even John Burns' uh, photo comic, which we've had some issues with, but on a whole the stories have been great, is that at least those feel like great original series episodes. Mm-hmm. This just feels like something so completely on the other side. Like, this is in its own little universe. It doesn't really affect or have any implications on anything whatsoever. You know, you could never feel like this would actually be a real episode except for maybe of the third season. <laughs> um, so not yeah, a compliment. I think that's, exactly. So I think that's really the frustration for me. And um, you know, the, the artwork isn't even all that exciting to me. And um, yeah, so we'll see how this ends. You know, I'll, I'll, I'm still interested to kind of see what they do to wrap it up. But I feel like, too, the story has been kind of lackluster as well. Like, you know, this is a fourth issue and and nothing super exciting has happened. There's no, I don't know, there's nothing really there that's drawing me in and keeping my interest or making me feel like I have to rush out and get the next issue. Mm -hmm.
0: Yeah, I'm very much in agreement with you. Um, I mean, Star Trek is good and Planet of the Apes is good as well. Together, I'm just I'm just not seeing it. I'm not getting it. I'm not really invested in this story, like you said. And um, yeah, the artwork, I mean, there's some uh, good scenes. I'm I'm thinking uh, their depiction of General Marius, the close-ups on him, some of those are pretty good. Uh, But again, there's nothing... There's no, there are no pages in here that jump out at me and make me go, wow, like some of the uh, pages in the City on the Edge of Forever comic did, for example. There's nothing here that's just really making me really appreciate this story. And I think if you're going to do this, you know, it deserves to be really appreciated and it deserves to be something really good. And I'm just not getting that here, unfortunately. And like you, I feel like You know, I'm probably not the audience for this, unfortunately, but uh, it is what it is, I'm afraid.
1: (laughs) On that, too, I mean, we have ongoing number 43, which has been released, and it's the first issue of the Riddices series. And, um, you know, the last time we left the Enterprise, they were adrift, and they didn't know where they were. And this comic makes it very clear that as they have warped out of this huge being that eats suns it has pushed them farther than normal with its warp drive into the delta quadrant which I really liked the way they explained that obviously you know I was wondering okay how are you gonna do this and is it gonna work and I felt like the explanation was really well done and then they do this thing where they slow it down the comic And, you know, they're functioning on, you know, very little power on the ship and the the whole ship is having to pull together and the crew is having to pull together. And I loved each and every one of those scenes.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah, the Enterprise kind of stuck at impulse, not getting anywhere very quickly. And so they're not coming upon any planets or anything like that, because they're moving just far too slow. And we see the days pass by, you know, each page, we get a new day count in the corner, day 12, day 26, day 38. And they're still just kind of having to hang together and survive. And yeah, I really appreciated that aspect of the story. It was really cool to see this group kind of come together and, and, um, you know, try and make it through this Period of little to no contact, you know, uh, rationing their resources and that sort of thing, is it, uh, it created a really nice atmosphere?
1: Well, what did you think about um, when Eurydice shows up and the offer that she makes to them? And obviously, if you haven't read this, we are going to spoil the end. So, spoiler alert. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think too of the fact that it doesn't seem like she's being altruistic at all?
0: Mm-hmm. I mean. You know, you know the story has to keep going, and so I, I kind of saw that coming a little bit because you know story tropes that that you know they have to do. Um, but I, I found her character very interesting. For one thing, I love the character design. I think she looks really cool, kind of not really like anything we've seen before. She looks, she just kind of badass, really. <laughs>
1: Yeah, um I think that that was one of the most exciting things about it. I thought it was a really interesting design. It was very clever. Um you know, obviously it it kind of has that TOS E feel to it as well that it's 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 kind of sexy, you know, then and you know Kirk and McCoy both comment on that and so that <laughs> feels very much in the vein of TOS. And uh, so I liked that. And, and yet at the same time, it, she's she's not overly ridiculously costumed like a TOS female character used to be. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she's fully clothed. There isn't anything crazy going on there. But um, I think it's just really the charisma, which which she comes off for the characters that is really uh, more so than just her looks, which I, I like. I think mm-hmm. that's really well done.
0: Yeah, she was definitely very well written.
1: Yes. Um, And she has this like playfulness, you know, uh, to her that I think is making them uh, feel comfortable and uneasy all at the same time. And and I really loved that, too, that, you know, they have the staff meeting, staff meeting, (laughs) Um, you know, to decide whether or not they're going to take her up on her offer. And for the most part, they're all basically like, we just really don't have a choice if our hope is to get back to our part of the galaxy, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and so we are going to say yes to her offer, which is to take them to, uh, to warp them to a trading post. She has um, some sort of tractor beam technology that will allow her to do that. And they're going to trust her and that's where we leave it. And of course, the last panel is her saying she almost feels bad for what's about to happen to them Mm. because she kind of likes them. (laughs) Um, So yeah, I'm really excited about this story to see where it goes because, um, you know, getting to play with the the Delta Quadrant, who knows what aliens we could see that we might have seen on Voyager before, which is kind of fun idea.
0: No Kazon Um, yet, thankfully.
1: Yeah, thank God. Um, (laughs) Let's leave the Kazon where they are. Um, which it should be in a really fiery part of Grethor. (laughs) Um, And, uh, yeah, this, though, is to me exactly what this series is supposed to be. And um, I'm really excited to see where the next two issues go. This is a trilogy of of, uh, story issues here. So very well done for the team. I think they're really fulfilling... Um, that mandate of we're on the 5 year mission and we're boldly going where no human has gone before in this um, jj verse and i love it i'm i'm all for this ep- issue
0: yeah agreed i'm on board with this one uh they they really um they impressed me with this one for sure well
1: dan This week, we are going to be talking about Shadow of the Machine, which is the newest e novella that has come out, and we've talked about some of these already, and and for the most part, I've loved the e novella idea. Um, It's been a lot of fun, and for me, I really love the time period that this was in, because it was right after the motion picture, and to me, that is something that just has not been mined enough in the novels, especially when... You realize that the Enterprise goes on a, goes on a whole other five year mission, which is awesome because they're doing it in the new Enterprise, you know, the the refit Enterprise. So many great um, storylines that can happen, and then of course after that, you also have the fact that Kirk goes back to being an admiral. Um, so so many things to fill in here, and I just don't understand why we don't get more books here. So I was glad when I saw that this was going to be in that time period and. Its quick blurb was, after its recent encounter with V'ger, the USS Enterprise has returned to Dry Dock to finish its refit before commencing on its second five-year mission. The crew has been granted a two-week period of shore leave before preparations for their next voyage begins. Shaken by their encounter with V'ger, Kirk, Spock, and Sulu travel to their respected homes and must reflect on their lives now forever changed. Dan, one of the things that um, you mentioned here in the outline was just that our heroes are real people. And um, even sometimes in the novels for TOS, I feel like we kind of forget this. And this was kind of a watershed moment for the TOS crew with everything that had happened with Vidra. I mean... Spock's life has turned completely upside down after leaving the colonar. Um Kirk has wrestled back the Enterprise from Decker, and really, he's strong-armed Starfleet into getting the Enterprise back. And then, of course, you know uh, McCoy has been drug out of of retirement, and and most likely sipping you know Georgia mint juleps uh, down in Atlanta while you know he's probably open to practice. I mean, or a disco club? <laughs> has, yeah, every exactly the local disco club hitting that up every night. <laughs> um, so everything has really changed for these characters. I, geez, uh, Chapel is a doctor now, so seeing these people after this huge event was, was I thought, a great idea for a, a Star Trek novella like this. Definitely.
0: And I mean, this is something that I've mentioned before, uh, the, the various uses these e-novellas can be put to. And one of them is kind of the quiet, introspective character piece that maybe couldn't dominate a full-length novel, maybe wouldn't sell, you know, as as much as maybe an exciting Borg invasion story or something like that, but in these e-novellas, they really the authors really have this latitude to kind of do a quieter story, a smaller story. And with this one, we get this nice, quiet character piece for three of our heroes: Kirk, Spock, and Sulu. And I've always been a big fan of stories that bring um, our heroes back to Earth in this case, both literally and figuratively. Uh, and like you said, heroes can be larger than life, comic book type heroes, but it's really how they deal with these emotional moments that make them real people in the eyes of the readers or the viewers. Um, I like to think of the episode Family from The Next Generation, for example. Picard comes home to La Bar, France after his horrific ordeal with the Borg, and... This story really felt like that for me, especially with Kirk's story, for example.
1: Definitely, I, I think that is a great way to put this. That this is TOS's family episode, mm-hmm. and um, I really, really like seeing that because it's it's a it's a needed change. Um, you know, the, these characters do need time to sit down and reflect and think about what's gone on in their lives, and and especially, I think the kirk character when you think about and especially the things that they bring up in this novel through kirk's story of everything that's happened to him and everything that is going on in his life at this moment just what we know from other things um other novels or or really just the continuity of the storyline and what will come we'll find out later on you know with uh, uh the wrath of khan and things like that um it's, it's really well done. It's really interesting to be able to actually dig into a character like Kirk and, and figure out what's going on in his head, especially when, for the most part, what we see is the larger-than-life action hero. And, um, yeah, I really like the fact that we are going to stop for a moment and take a breath with these characters and see them back on Earth. And, you know, again, specifically for Kirk, seeing him in Iowa... You know where his family's from you know we just don't know a lot about kirk's family and his family life and how he grew up and all of those things in the original series the universe i mean we know about his brother sam or george depending on you know who's talking <laughs> and they they which which name of his they use um you know we know a little tiny bit about his parents but just not a lot and i just loved the fact that we get that with him here and um yeah, that's, it's a great idea for a story, and, and especially if you're going to do it with us, this is a good place to put it, I think, mm-hmm. um, because you, you can have that time to reflect. Now, saying that, this novel does have some continuity issues with some other novels, and there are some issues of where they don't mix and maybe even the end of the motion picture. So what we're talking about specifically is Ex Machina... As well as the captain's daughter are two examples of things that don't quite line up. Does that bother you, Dan, or can you let that go?
0: Well, this is kind of something that's not new. Um, In various Star Trek uh, properties, there have been, you know, different ideas of what happened. And you know, there's not kind of a mandate that all of the novels have to mesh with one another. The only rule is that they have to agree with on-screen canon, which is, you know, anything that was in a TV show or a movie. So, I mean, this is, they've done this before. However, part of me thinks, you know, for example, Ex Machina and The Captain's Daughter are two of my favorite novels. (laughs) So, you know, it's kind of sad that they, that these stories don't work together, but I'm, I'm kind of happy to see it as an alternate take on the events. You know, not everything has to line up. Where it did kind of bug me a little bit more so, though, was at the end of the motion picture, for example, um, Scotty says to Spock something along the lines of, oh, we can have you back to Vulcan in a few days. And Spock says basically, oh, my business on Vulcan is complete. I have no intention to go back there. And then in this story, all of a sudden he goes back to Vulcan. And then, of course, there's Kirk's famous line you know, set a course out there, that-away. And apparently, in this case, that-away means right back to Earth space dog. <laughs> it was a little, a little less dramatic than I would have thought out there, that-away would have been.
1: Well, and the thing that I kind of was able to get in my head was there's a good chance that that may have been their intention. And then Starfleet was like, come back to earth, Hmm. you know? Um, because obviously we don't, we never see what happens after that in the film, you know, it never picks up close to the motion picture, what we see in Canon. So my guess is, you know, who knows? (laughs) Like five minutes later, they get a call from Starfleet saying, we want you to come back to earth. And, um, That, to me, would make some sense, Mm -hmm. especially after this event. It honestly makes more sense for them to have to come back to Earth. They would need some things refit and finished because the Enterprise refit wasn't completely done. (laughs) And um, the opportunity to have the crew you know, be able to to see some family before it did go on another five-year mission. You know, the, again, all of that to me, what I loved is that just really made sense. And it might not fit with Ex Machina, but, um, you know, it, it just made logical sense. The, mm-hmm. the frustration, I think, for me was where it came with the Sulu story and how it really doesn't mesh at all with the captain's daughter, which has really been taken as in especially other novels with the lost era and those kind of things have really used that storyline with Demora and, and Sulu that's kind of how things have happened for the Sulu family. Mm-hmm. And, um, so I was a little bit frustrated that that's where for me, it was frustrating that it didn't line up. Um, and, uh, but it, it, it's an interesting take, you know, um, as, like you said, kind of maybe an alternate take of how things might have happened. And it's not, none of these things are canon, Mm -hmm. you know. If it hasn't happened on screen in Star Trek, it's not canon. And uh, plenty of books have written over each other before on accidents and stuff. Um, It's just, I think, we've gotten used to in the last 10 years that not happening as much. Um, Right. I thought it would be kind of fun just to kind of dive in this this book has those three distinct stories, Kirk, Sulu, and Spock's story, so I thought it would be really interesting just to dive into each one. Um, With Kirk's story, you know, he goes back to Iowa, and his aunt and uncle really want him to talk to Peter, who is his brother's son, and obviously his brother and his wife died, and Kirk was there. And we never saw the resolution of that at all in TOS. You know, the next episode, he's he, it's like nothing ever happened because that's the way TOS was at that point. But here he's having to deal with that issue. And at the same time, he's dealing with the issue of the fact that he doesn't really ever see his son, David. Mm-hmm. And so, what did you end up thinking about this storyline, especially with the way it connected with? The story of david and carol
0: well i really enjoyed uh this story on a number of levels i mean first as you say um kirk's nephew is kind of a proxy for for david for kirk's own son that he's not able to see not able to have in his life but he can influence the life of a younger uh, of another young man uh peter his nephew um One thing that I really liked about this story was the parallel between, you know, kind of the crisis that Peter is going through in his life and what Kirk has just dealt with in the motion picture. Both of them are very unsure of themselves, and Kirk's aunt and uncle want Jim to talk to Peter and, you know, try and convince him or motivate him to get out of this funk, basically, while Kirk himself is... In a funk himself and and not sure what he wants to do or where his place is. And through the course of this story, both of them kind of come to the realization that they can be more than what they see themselves at that moment. and it's it's a really touching story, and I felt really touched on a lot of very human emotions and and felt very real to me.
1: one of the things that we don't see enough of, I think, with Kirk in these kind of stories is the fact that he's an outdoors guy. You know, he, he likes horses. Um, he kind of enjoys that as as much as he's a cowboy in space, he's also just kind of a cowboy in real life, you know, with what he might be like. I could expect that Kirk would be a, a guy with a ranch, you know, in Montana or something like that. That's just who Kirk would be. I think if he was on earth and, I loved that, you know, he's back in Iowa and that when I I felt like when he got there, you know, he's he's probably got a pair of blue jeans on and a flannel shirt. And, (laughs) um, you know, when he goes down to get a cup of coffee, um, you know, this just seems like there's a whole part of Kirk that this would be his life, you know, if if he was on Earth. Um, and and who he would be you know he would be a cowboy if he was back in the 1800s you know early 1900s that's that's who this guy would be I think Um, and I love seeing that side of him and I kind of wish that we got to see more of that with him Um, honestly in some ways I thought man wouldn't it have been great if this story had been Kirk, Spock, and McCoy going camping together. <laughs> um, oh, yeah. Playing off of the great scene from, you know, uh, Five, which is one of my favorite parts of any Star Trek movie. I love them camping together. hmm And I, I could see, yeah, I just, I feel like this is something I would love to see more of, this type, this side of Captain Kirk. Um, and yeah the story with uh, his his nephew was was really fantastic. just to me I'll be honest, the Kirk story and the Spock story were the best parts of the book and I just I really enjoyed what they were doing here with Kirk.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, they felt very real I, uh, Kirk's story especially um, that said, I also felt Sulu's story had kind of, um, a real kind of realness to it in the, in kind of the ways that life is sometimes very messy and things don't always work out the way you want them to, or the way you think that they should. I I thought Sulu's story really kind of brought out that kind of grittiness and reality of the life of what someone who's dedicated their life to deep space exploration might actually be. It was in a lot of ways touching and sad and felt very real in a lot of ways as well. What did you think about Sulu's story?
1: Um, I think you're right. The, the, the idea of the messiness of what it would be like to be a Starfleet officer and not be um, involved with somebody who's on the same ship as you. Um, the, the frustration that that would be. And, and um, it made me understand why in Picard's time that they they started building ships that families could go on because you, you're asking people to cut off a whole part of their life for a good majority of their life if they're going on these deep space explorations. And to do that, um, you're not getting the best out of people, I don't think. Mm-hmm you know um you, you're only getting a part of them because they're having to keep a whole other side of their life uh, closed off you know and, and, and unless kirk or, or spock or sulu or mccoy or uhura or any of these people you know kind of have a fling with somebody on the ship um you know there's a whole part of themselves that that is not alive and uh, if there's anything that i've learned from real life is that that's dangerous um and uh, it's harmful to your psyche and to who you are to keep a whole part of yourself dead. And um, I thought that was what was interesting about the Kirk stories. that we're exploring that idea with him and Carol and seeing some of the the things that he has in his life that, that are already regrets, especially with David. And, and now we're seeing that play out at the beginning with Sulu, you know, um, and the fact that he is going to be leaving his daughter and his wife. And it's it's not super happy. It's not a happy ending. You know, it is uh, it's a painful ending, and I like that it's it's not glossed over. You know, um, and it kind of makes Sulu a deadbeat dad a little bit, yeah. Um, <laughs> and it just made me wonder: is there really no way to take you know your wife and your kid on the Enterprise at this point? I, I just, I guess we don't see that. Obviously, that you know, but is there really not a way for that to happen in Starfleet? Do we really just keep families apart for you know years at a time? I feel like
0: what what they're saying basically is at this point, yeah. I mean, it, it's there really seem to be drawing a parallel between you know Starfleet of the twenty third century and today, where you know it's more of a military than it is in Picard's time and it's shipping out for long periods, uh, with the occasional shore leave, you know, every year or two. But yeah, it's, it's a tough story to read because it feels very familiar. Um, not, not a lot of experience with this in my life, but I know a lot of people who have had to have their families separated for long periods of time. And, and I I think it's, it's almost a, um, attribute or it's it's almost a a good quality of this story that they don't take kind of an easy way out they they really deal with the consequences of Sulu's decision and he kind of has to make his peace with it and it's tough but it's what he ultimately decides and yeah it's pretty sad
1: yeah um it is actually i i think um because a part of me wants to say that the answer is that you you sired a child, so yeah. you need to take care of it. Um and regardless of, of what you think you're meant to do, um, you know, again this is a it's a difference between the Kirk story here and Sulu's story. You know, Kirk's um person, Carol, asked him not to be around. Mm-hmm. She made that decision. Took the choice right decision. out of his hands. Yeah. Exactly. You know, Sulu has the choice to stay on Earth um, or to find a different assignment that will allow him to be near his child. and He willingly chooses not his child um, and his and his, you know, wife uh, or you know, a lover or whatever she is. They don't even mention that whether they're married in this. So, um, yeah, it's um, I don't know. I'm not going to say uh, it's up for the reader to decide that's for sure of whether they think Sulu makes the right decision. so, Mm -hmm. Um, Which leads us to Spock's story. And I think Spock's story is the best story next to Kirk's here. And it really touched me, the the way that they did this story and the way that Spock, what I loved is that Spock comes to that place that you can see him on the path to being who he'll be in Star Trek 6 mm-hmm. you know where he's really making peace and finding his place and who he's going to be um so that even you know even in 2 he's very comfortable with himself Spock is and um it seems to be that he's at peace and then of course by the time we get to 5 and 6 Spock is is very much at peace with who he is um and I I just love this story
0: yeah I agree um I love that even from a Vulcan perspective, it turns out that it's logical that he would embrace his human half, because that's what he is. He isn't a Vulcan. He isn't a human. He's Spock. He's half human, half Vulcan. And I think about the first season of the original series, the episode The Enemy Within, when Spock is describing his nature to McCoy. Um, saying that he has two halves, a human half and a Vulcan half that are at war with each other, each of them fighting for dominance. And I think about how far he's come since then. And in this story, we see the beginnings of the two halves not fighting for dominance, but really cooperating together to make him the person that he is and will become. I, I thought it was Kind of it was a very deep insight into the character of Spock. And I really have to give the story credit for that. I thought it was beautifully done.
1: Well, and what I love too is that it you, you like you said, it, it uses the idea of Vulcan logic to come to the idea and Spock comes to the idea that he is not Vulcan, he's not human, he's something else, and he needs to be what he is. Mm-hmm. And what he is is Spock. Right. And he is in some ways unique because be- at this point there are not any other you know, Vulcan-human combinations. And so he needs to embrace the idea of Idic in himself, which is I need to be who I am. And I am a combination of something that hasn't been done before, at least that we know of. And, uh, and if it has been done before, it's, it's not done very often. And so there aren't a lot of people for me to talk to about this. And I just, I really, really liked that. And then I loved the way that we work in Sarek and Amanda and the fact that they both have conversations with him and they both kind of open up to him in different ways. The fact that Sarek was never able to complete Kulinar because of his love for Amanda mm-hmm. and realized that was not the right choice for him because he loves Amanda. It's not, you know, he, he, can't, he can't say that. He can't say the word love. But Amanda says it for him, right? And and not so many words. That's what Sarek says about Amanda, and I I love 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 that storyline. I think it's just uh, it's brilliant to me. This Spock story is so fantastic.
0: Absolutely, yeah. And and like you say, I love the insights into Sarek's character because he's he's one of my favorite characters in all of Star Trek. I think he was played magnificently by Mark Leonard. And I I have to admit I never thought of that before. When he says that he's he never completed colonar, I thought what an amazing insight. That's really cool. That you know his life took him a different on a different path as well. So
1: well, and what was so cool too is to see that you know when Spot goes to talk to the colonar master, and she can't refute his logic mm-hmm. of of that Spock needs to be who he is, which is part human and part Vulcan, and to embrace that. And again, it was just it's very, very well done. And it I think it creates a magnificent Spock story if you're just looking for the inside of of how how is Spock moved from the the original TOS and motion picture to what he becomes in the rest of the films. This is really I think a great explanation and and look at how spock makes that move and so you know spock uh, was wrong at the end of the motion picture he did need to go to vulcan Mm -hmm. and um this is this is also what allows spock to be so much more personable with kirk with mccoy and the rest of the crew of the enterprise um and be so much more comfortable with himself in his own skin it's It's awesome, so um kind of talking through the story like this, Dan um did it kind of change your final thoughts and maybe rating for the the novella as we've you know kind of talked through some of these issues that we might have had with the book
0: well i I really did enjoy this story uh from the get go I mean, there are the continuity issues that we talked about, but again, i you know those are really minor if if something's an impediment to telling a good story, then, you know, they should be kind of swept aside because this is a really good story. Um, again, like you said, especially the Spock story, I really enjoyed the Kirk story. And while Sulu's story isn't necessarily enjoyable, I still felt it very, um, insightful or real, which, you know, I, I think, you know, it's a tough story to read, but, I think it very much rings true in a lot of ways for a lot of people's experiences. So, yeah, this story overall, I I really have to rate it highly. I think um, on Goodreads I gave it a very high rating as well. So for this podcast, I think I'm going to have to rate it four burning barns out of five.
1: Oh, goodness. Well, um... You know, talking through the story, I think you helped me see even some more validity to the Sulu story, and that really actually has raised my rating in my my head of of where this book is. I already enjoyed immensely the Kirk in this box stories. But with that, you know, I think that this is well worth the read. You know forget about the continuity issues. Like you said, none of these books are canon anyway. So if we're talking about just telling a good story, Hell, this is a great Spock story. This is a great Kirk story, and it's an interesting Sulu story. Um, and with it happening after the motion picture and dealing with the ramifications, I mean, we didn't even talk about the fact that Kirk is struggling with the decisions that he made with Decker, you know, that he made the right decision there by allowing him to, you know, join with the pro Um Was it his fault because he was kind of selfish and pushing himself forward? All of those things really, really well done. And so I think for me, this book is four out of five hugs from Amanda. (laughs) Um, And uh, I think that everybody should go get it and read it because it's well worth it. And gosh, you can sit down and read this in an hour. And I think that you'll really appreciate it, especially for those stories of Spock and Kirk.
0: Definitely. Well, Matthew, uh, I think we both agreed. Uh, Shadow of the Machine, well worth reading. Uh, We both rated it very highly, and I think that was a really good discussion. We really explored a lot of different aspects of this story.
1: Well, and that's one of the great things, Dan, about uh, a book like this, with it being so character-driven, is it really does get you a lot of things to dive into. And, um, you know, you, you you really get to explore that. I think that's what makes this, again, just a, an area that needs to be mined more. Because the characters here at this point, are are there's so much growth opportunity. You know, you want to write a TOS novel, forget about the five-year mission. This needs to be the place that you're writing uh, more novels because it's ripe for the taking. There's just not a ton here and you can do so many things with what happens on that next five year mission. Where do Kirk and Spock and McCoy go and explore next? I mean, this is a fantastic place to be mining and uh, the, the psyche of the characters is a fantastic place to be mining, especially as you're building towards what the heck is Kirk doing behind an admiral's desk again at the beginning of Star Trek two. How do we get there? (laughs) answer all those questions for us, uh, Trek authors, because, uh, man, I'd love to have them filled in. Definitely. (laughs) Well, Dan, it has been a blast talking about Shadow the Machine today, but of course it's not the only thing we've been talking about, Trek FM, this past week, so here is a quick look at some of those other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm,
0: Standard Orbit not an overstatement and he had said in your introduction that without without him and his hand guiding all of this then then it's unlikely that two would have been what it was and if it had not been successful
1: then it it, you know it probably would have meant the end of star trek at that point
0: earl gray like i'm expecting ricardo martaban to like walk around the corner and be like captain picard welcome this is rice of five (laughs) the shuttlecraft the shuttlecraft the orb
1: on is involved with the Kittimer yeah. courts. Spock is at Kittimer when those are being talked about. So you would think they would have run into each other. They probably least. hung out in the bar together.
0: To the journey! Beep. One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now!
1: <laughs> <laughs> the ready room. The movie series would not have relaunched and, and become what it was if not for the amazing bounce of, The Wrath of Khan. The Wrath of Khan was to Star Trek the same thing that uh, The Best of Both Worlds was to Next Generation.
0: Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about
1: how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end.
0: Literary, Treks. I've always liked the... uh, I like that episode for... I mean, it's one of the most derided of the of the original series episodes, but yet I always it has this place in my heart for some reason. I've always enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it over. So, um, I wanted to do something with those guys, the Scalbians. The 602 Club. Like, I, I could kind of dismiss Droids in Distress and Fight or Flight and everything like that, and I was just kind of watching the background, but all of a sudden I started catching myself, like, stopping working and, and just focusing on watching. And, uh, and so it just got better and better and better. And I think I was hooked by episode four, Breaking Rings. That's when I was like, okay, I like this show. This is good. Warp five. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening
1: on Trek.FM. Check out these shows and find out what we've been talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. Guys, if you're an Apple user, you can do some things that can really help out the show. Hit the subscribe button. That does a great job. of makes it easier for the listeners to find us when they search in iTunes, as well as star ratings and reviews. Most people get their podcast from Apple. Um, it, it's just a fact about 80% of people actually listen to podcasts through Apple. And so by giving us star ratings and reviews, it makes it so much easier for people to find the show when they search in iTunes, we would be the first thing that comes up, as well as get promoted on iTunes, which helps more people see the show, which helps more people find the show. And, and that's what we want, is just more Star Trek fans, more people to be introduced to Star Trek literature. But guess what? If you are not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our shows on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone, and of course you can stream and download the MP3 file from the website, and you can grab the RSS link as well. Dan, another great way that people can help us with the network is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com trekfm, you can find all our current goals and milestone contribution levels along with the great perks that we have for you. I want to say a quick thanks to all the people who do support us already on Patreon. It does help us keep all of these shows coming to you. Uh, without you, we can't do it because we just can't afford the storage space that we need, everything that it goes into creating all of this content for you. Guys, if you want to become a patron, there are some great perks that come with these kind of things. Supporting us on the network, you can get early access to content, exclusive content, producer credit, seats on the content development team, more. We really, again, we appreciate support, and you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you'd like to contact us, you can do that at trek.fm slash contact. You can also leave us a voicemail. Look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. We're on Twitter at trek.fm, Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm, and, of course, the Babel Conference best place to have a Star Trek discussion online, really hands down. I've had some of the best conversations about Star Trek and so many other things with the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference in the search field on Facebook or go to the website at trek.fm and click Discussion on the menu bar. We have some fantastic associate producers here on this show. There's Will Wynn. You can find him on Twitter at Will underscore Wynn. And, of course, he's on the Babel Conference. He is an associate producer on The Orb as well as Earl Grey, and he's Trek FM's content coordinator. So if you have any ideas for him, just tweet him. We'd also like to thank Lisa Stevens and Kenneth Tripp for their support on the network. It's fantastic to have you guys here. We love the fact that you're supporting the network. And if you'd like to find Lisa, you can find her on Twitter at Flip18. Well, Dan, uh, now that you've uh, gotten back from your secret mission uh, there with Section 31, tell everybody where they can find you online.
0: Well, when I'm not off spying or doing whatever for Section 31. (laughs) Shh, Dan, don't tell us. I've said too much. (laughs) <laughs> I
1: want to live.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, when I'm not doing those things that cannot be named, uh, you can find me online. My website is www.treklet.com. And on that site, I review Star Trek novels, both old and new. Uh, I'm on Facebook, uh, facebook.com slash Reviews. And I'm on Twitter at Treklit Reviews. And every once in a while, you can find me hanging out at the Babel conference or on our Goodreads group. And Matthew, when you're not trying to make logical sense of your dual Vulcan and human natures, I'm on to you. Uh, where can we find you?
1: Well, that does honestly just take up a heck of a lot of time um, trying to figure out how to be logical and passionate all at the same time. is is Wow. <laughs> Well, you can find me uh, with my either logical or passionate tweets on Twitter at MattRushing02. You can also find me doing uh, The Orb with Christopher Jones where we talk exclusively about Deep Space Nine. Um, Love doing that show. It's so much fun with Chris. And, uh, man, some great episodes we've had recently. We just did an episode about Zial, which I had a blast talking about that character because uh, I've been in love with her for a very long time. Um, You can also find me on... 602 Club, where we just pick a great new geeky topic each week and talk about that. Um, had a great time this last week. We talked about Sky Captain and the World Tomorrow, a film that, if you haven't seen, everybody needs to see it. It's fantastic. You can also find me on my own personal blog at 42LifeInBetween.WordPress.com. Well, thank you so much for joining us, everyone. And until next time, live long read on you call that light reading to each his own number one